0: Hey guys, Renee here. I just wanted to let you all know that we are still recording remotely due to COVID-19. So if you hear any audio glitches in this recording, please ignore them because the content is super awesome and it's worth listening to. Thank you. Welcome back to Two Mamas and a Mustard Seed. I'm one of your hosts, Renee Rethel.
1: And I'm your other host, Kisa Holke. To remind our listeners, this season is dedicated to listening to people of color, discussing different areas of life that aren't equitable or just. We will always focus on ways that we can unite and work on resolutions together, all races and all people. We believe it's vital to have leaders in this area who have a clear lens to speak into ways that we can heal and reconcile. So today's episode is called Listen to Jason Darden. Renee has a special connection with our interviewee this week. They are old friends and both graduates uh, from Harding University. So Renee, take it away, and please introduce our guest
0: today. Oh my goodness, you guys! I am so excited for our guest today. Um, it's my dear friend, as Keith said, Jason Darden. We both graduated. I don't even want to tell him when we graduated. Oh, tell him. No, because <laughs> that'll that'll age us. But it was 2005. Yes. And I believe you and I both took longer than four years to graduate. Just yeah, to they put had that.
2: Believe so. Yeah. That's, that's, that's
0: we were there for a while, but he is now back at Harding. He's an instructor um, with the College of Bible and Ministry at Harding. He is a preacher, a musician, a father, and a husband. He has worked in ministry in California, Georgia, and various other places in the U.S. He is also a chaplain or major. How do you say that, Jason? Are you both a chaplain I, and a major? I am, I am
2: both, but we we go by chaplain.
0: He's a chaplain and the U.S. Army Reserves. Thanks for being here, Jason. I am just thrilled today.
2: And thanks for the invite. Look forward to catching up.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I was telling Kisa earlier, <laughs> I was like, I was trying to explain who you are to me in my life. And the easiest way I could think of saying it was, I feel like we spent a lot of time together our freshman and sophomore years at Harding, and then life got crazy for both of us, but... I feel like we were together a lot in those times. And I remember there's one particular day that we all remember from college. And that was 9-11. And I remember it. I was a sophomore at the time. Were you a sophomore or junior? I was a
2: sophomore. Okay.
0: Um, I remember it because I think we were sitting close to each other or together in chapel that semester And I skipped chapel that day. (laughs) I was exhausted. I slept through chapel. We're supposed to go to chapel every day at Harding at 9 a.m. But that day I did not. And I woke up to the TV and I thought, Mm -hmm. oh, my gosh. And I first of all, I didn't know what to think. But then I thought this somehow is going to affect Jason. Yeah. That was the first thing that came to my mind. And I think I just started crying right then and there because I knew my friend was probably about to be deployed.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you were, weren't you?
2: Yeah, I sure was. I sure was. Got sent overseas to uh, the Sinai Peninsula, in Egypt. <sighs> yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: That's that's one of the most just memorable and not for a good reason moments with you. But there's a lot of great moments. Yeah. I remember we went to a little church together a lot in Kensett, uh-huh. Arkansas. You remember that <laughs> right down the road from the Zonkey? Yeah, that's, that's right. The zonky is still alive, too. The zonky is still it, alive.
2: Hey, it is still alive. People talk about it all the time. I'm like, man. Mazonky?
1: Oh, like, you know what a zonky is, Kisa? <laughs> I, I do not. Do I, I want to know? <laughs> it's a it, zebra and a donkey mixed. So that's what it sounds like.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's kind of um, a harding thing to just go see the zonky. Yeah, yeah. Like you'll just drive down the road on a random day, just there's not a lot to do in Cersei, So we, (laughs) we made things up a lot. Anyway. So Jason, you are a dad, your husband, your professor, a preacher, a soldier, and a hip hop artist. Mm -hmm. I need you to tell me how in the world, all of this happened and what it's like having all of those things in a blender at the same time.
1: Man, and, and, and
0: Can I say, can you put this in the back of your mind
1: that we might need you to
0: spit some bars
1: at the end of the show? Oh, I'm
2: always ready with some bars. Okay. <laughs> Good. Uh, I, I guess the, the easiest way to say it is I grew up in a, a, a faithful Christian family uh, with ties to the, the churches of Christ um, that go way back. And so when it came time to uh, kind of pick a career path. I was always inspired. Like I was one of those kids that got baptized when I was a young kid. Like I was nine years old, and I always wanted to be a preacher because of my grandpa. Like so, I knew that was going to be a part of my life. Uh, you get into teenage years, you make some mistakes and do some knucklehead things. So as a result, I, I was told to join the army to get my life right. Right. So seventeen years old, join the army. I come from a military family. My dad was career military. Grandpa. So forth and so on. So it was kind of like it was already set for me, right? So I knew I was going to be a preacher, had to join the Army. (laughs) It was just my dad took me to sign up. (laughs) Uh, So when it came time to decide college, I had West Point. I had an HBCU that I was looking at. And then there was Harding. Uh, and, And when I came out to visit, there was something about the community here that was different. And so decided to come here. Uh, and when you come here, it's a magical place, right? It, mm-hmm. what, what, what makes Harding special is not Searcy, Arkansas. This is a tough place to live. It's very rural. Mm-hmm. But because of that, you build a really close-knit community. I mean, you, you just hanging out with your friends 24-7 doing nothing, walking down aisles in Walmart, right? But you form this community that, that is really, really special. So uh, that, that kind of fostered and lit the fire in me to really explore preaching. You know, we would do Devo. You remember the Devos we used to do yes, and all kind of stuff. And and I was like, I think I can do this. So fast forward, graduate from Harding. I was in the army the whole time. Got my commission, became an officer, uh, and moved back to California. Got into ministry, and I said, I want my military life and my 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 pastoral life to to mesh. So decided to become a chaplain uh, while I was in California. I, I had a season where I was very unhappy with ministry. I, you know, I'm a I'm, I'm an evangelistic guy. I like teaching people about Jesus who don't know Jesus, mm-hmm. rather than pastoral uh, pastoral care of of, of, of church people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what happened was um, to get involved with the community and the culture, I, I started doing hip hop. All right, I would hang around some dudes. It would be in a room, freestyling, and they were friends that I met, and I started rapping a little bit, and I would talk about Jesus, they would talk about other things, and then uh, over the course of a year or so, I met some other brothers um, from Oakland, and uh, and we formed a record label, and then we started traveling, and I thought I was going to do that full-time professionally, but being on the road, uh, being a starving musician didn't really... <laughs> you know, comfort uh, so so we kind of transition and and I do it more now as a labor of love and and students love it. I'll have students over at the house and I'll be recording and all kind of stuff. but anyway, that's how all that come together and, and if there is a uh, there's a theme, it's all gospel centered. it's all mm-hmm. ministry centered. Um, it's all service oriented um, just because I want to see other people, get to know this savior that I know that, could, that mm-hmm. can change lives. So so that's how they all mesh together, you know? And then of course, uh, my family is amazing. My, my yes. family, i married up, I uh, met my wife here um, and, uh, and I have two beautiful daughters and they teach me every day what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, right? I thought I'd be teaching them, but they teach me. So, uh, but anyway, hopefully that answers your, your question.
0: Yes, sir.
1: I love how Jason talked about wanting his work and ministry to mesh. Sometimes I think we we make it harder than it has to be to share the gospel. Sometimes it's as simple as sharing our everyday lives with other people.
0: I love that Jason. So you just talked about growing up in a military family. You mentioned your dad. Um, and I know he's very successful in the, in this military. So tell us about his success and then talk about the pros and cons of growing up. And as we've heard you call it before, a utopian military society.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my dad, uh, we're from Berkeley, California, right outside of Oakland, Bay area. And my dad joined the army. And as a result, we move all over the, the nation, the world. Uh, we're all over the place. And there's this this dominant theme throughout the military that you hear right when you get in. We say we're all green. And what we mean by that is we all wear the same uniform. And uh, and so race, uh, we don't talk about that in the army. I shouldn't say we don't talk about it. It's just that is secondary uh, to the mission. Gender is secondary Mm -hmm. to the mission. Um, Religious preference is secondary to the, to the, to the mission. Right. So I grew up in a culture where on military installations, you're surrounded by every ethnicity, culture, race under the sun. It it, is, I mean, I remember growing up having Korean friends, Filipino, black, Hispanic, Chinese, I mean, so forth white. And, and we all viewed each other as equals as peers because, um, economically speaking, like we were all on the same level. Like you can look up, Um, each other's pay chart and know what each parents were making. We lived in similar communities. So it was just this space where we didn't, we we joked about each other's race and culture just because it was fun to do, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But we viewed each other as equals. Like that's, and that was my context growing up. Um, and, And so it was a blessing to, 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 to not have to worry about, what the world worried about because we were protected by the military army culture. Mm-hmm. So that was the pro. The con was, I was very naive because I was so protected, right? Mm-hmm. I thought my experience was everybody's experience mm-hmm. when it came to culture and race. Now, I, I hear stories, you know, my grandpa lived through Jim Crow segregation. so I And, and I'm very connected with the black community growing up and, and all that good stuff. Um, but it wasn't my experience. Like I never rode the back of the bus. I didn't understand, you know, I went to integrated schools. So I didn't really get it. And I was protected from it until I got to the South. And then the blinders were taken off. And I was like, whoa, yo, this is this is a problem. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I You just mentioned, um, it just struck me because we're in a season in America where it doesn't, it just feels different yeah. to me. Feels amplified. I think to everybody, the division. How do we translate that unity that you and the military feel? You know, you said race, religious preference, gender. It was secondary to the mm-hmm. mission. How do we translate that to America as a whole, or can it even be done? What's well, a new question for you? Yeah, no, Not that's, on the list. Well, you're backing <laughs>
1: up something I was going to ask at <laughs> that point too. So, please. Well, I, w- I would ask in America, was our collective
2: mission?
0: So in America, what is our collective mission? We're going to put a pin in that question and come back to it in just a little bit.
2: I, I don't, it hasn't been defined. The beautiful thing about the army is we have a mission, right? Uh, and, and it's very clear, support and defend the constitution and to protect our nation against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. If any, any soldier can spell that out. If you ask what our mission is in America, you'll have a plethora Mm of different answers. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's part of the problem. Um, We're all moving in different directions. We all have different ideas on what it means to be American. And unless we have that unifying uh, voice, that collective mission, um, we'll be hard pressed to find any kind of unity, right? So, And the thing about the army is, is it's a service oriented uh, community. Like we all Mm -hmm. join the army to serve. Right. So I would also say if we want to bring about unity, what are we doing to serve, to serve our country as a whole, to serve our fellow man? Mm -hmm. And what I find is a lot of people are me focused. um, And and, and when you live in a paradigm of of focusing on self, it, it doesn't work well. You know, we got to have some unifying thing that we're working towards. And that's why events like 9-11, oh, we weren't fighting about nothing. We were fighting about going over there and taking over care of those people who messed us over, right? It, it was amazing how we all came together. We weren't thinking about that. We were thinking, all right, we got to handle this before something else happens. So it's amazing how that event captured our country's attention. And it seemed like for a lot of us, we were moving in the same direction. So,
1: so I, love, I love how you, you talked about the military's mission. And America's mission as a whole is, is, is not the same. So as Christ followers, we are co-missioned with yeah. the great commission, right. To live that and walk that out. And so, um, there won't be the unity that we need this side of heaven right, until, you know, or unless everyone has become a Christ okay. follower. So, right. and right. I love that everything should be secondary to our mission as Christians, right? Yeah. yeah. Everything else, faith, race, Exactly. That should be secondary. I love that. Hmm. So in America, what is our collective mission? Perhaps we don't have a common American mission, but as Christians, we do have the great commission in Matthew 28. Race is secondary. Gender is secondary. It's all secondary to the most important mission of all. What is your opinion on how the church should address social issues? So we know that the Bible alone addresses what we need to do and how we need to love our neighbor. Do you think that the church interprets scriptures the way that Jesus intended regarding his love? Or are there places where the church may have missed the mark?
2: Yeah, that's a tough one. That is a tough one. So the simple answer is, yes, we have missed the mark. And yes, we have done it well. (laughs) Both in rather than either. (laughs) I think. Traditionally, I was just listening to the audio version of uh, MLK's letters from the Birmingham jail. And and he he had some strong words to the Christian community uh, who who neglected in a lot of ways the issue at hand, um, the social equity, social justice piece. And I think the reason why the, the faith community misses it, in particular, the Christian community, from my perspective from my vantage point is we tend to focus on salvation the soul the saving of a person um and that takes precedence over over meeting needs sometimes maybe you guys have seen this meme i've seen a meme on facebook where there's a missionary that has africa and there's like an african kid and uh, they, she has like a whole bunch of Bibles and she's bringing the Bibles. She's mm. and looking like, you, the and you don't bring no food? like this <laughs> You know, and I love that meme because I think it sums up a, a lot of our problems. Mm. The Jesus that I read about in the Gospels, uh, in particular in, in the Luke-Acts correspondence, is really concerned about this concept of the upside down kingdom, divine reversal, where the last will be first, and the first will be last, and that's why we see him functioning amongst the people that live on the margins of society, right? Mm-hmm. Who had a tough go in life, who were treated uh, not properly because of laws, because of, of 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 the institution at large. So he works really hard to lift these people out of their out of their condition to to let them know that they're valuable, they're special, they're important. Uh, And he does that on purpose. And sometimes, well, he does that on purpose, I think, so that he can open their hearts to be receptive to the message. But he does that a lot of times without saying anything. Like he'll heal somebody and say, go on about your business, you know, have a good life. Go show yourself to the priest, right? So um I say all that to say Jesus was radical in that he always looked at the people on the margins first, right? Because he could identify with them because in a lot of ways, he grew up as one who was on or in the margins, right? And I think we missed the mark on that uh, in a lot of ways.
0: Jesus never shied away from tearing down walls of division. He showed love to women, to the poor, to the unclean, to wait for it, the oppressor and to the people he was told should be his racial enemies, the Samaritans. Jesus loved the marginalized, and he didn't mind shaking up systems to do so.
2: There's Mm -hmm. so much more to be said there. Let me stop. That was (laughs) (laughs) a good
0: question. Do we get scared of the margins as Christians? Uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hell like it is, Jason.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so, um, it's scary being around people that, that you can't readily identify with. There's fear there, um, because you just don't know. You you just don't know. Like, um, classic example, I was living in, uh, Sacramento and I was working with a church that was in the hood. It was in the project, this region called Del Paso Heights. This is where the gangsters hang out, bloods, crips, all that good stuff that you hear about in California. Mm. We bring some, uh, some Harding students, and I love Harding students because they, they are so innocent, so <laughs> for the most part, I think, you know, for the most part, they're innocent, have never been around cultures that are different than their own. So I say, hey, we're going to go into Del Paso Heights, and we're going to walk the community, do a prayer walk, and just talk to people that we encounter. And we go through this area where there are gangsters living. Right, it's just completely different. There's a different lingo. Uh, just mm-hmm. liquor yes. stores everywhere, and 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 you walk into that and you go, "Oh, I ain't home right now." This is right. different, and I don't know. And all I know is what I hear about on TV or social media about people who live in these conditions and circumstances. So fortunately, the students I were with, they, they, they jump right in, and and you know, college students will change the world. They just yeah. need. But we we tend to separate ourselves because of fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. We just don't know, and it's scary. So yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Man. So we're gonna kind of build, kind of build on that. So we know that uh, predominantly white churches are they operate differently um, than predominantly black churches, mm-hmm. and not good or bad necessarily, just different. So black churches, black churches often um, are forced to teach biblical truth through the lens of social oppression. And I sometimes wonder if there is a fear to talk about those same issues um, in white churches, as we just kind of, kind of went over. Um, Is there a fear possibly of misinterpreting scripture, a fear of losing people, a fear of seeming too political? Like, is there something outside of not being able to identify that we believe that fear stems from, or is it just solely we can't identify?
2: I, I think that for, from my experience, cause I worked in both environments, right? Worked at all black churches in, in, in inner cities. And I worked at a wealthy congregation in the suburbs of South Orange County, right? Mm-hmm. And the conversations were different. I remember I was very careful to talk about injustice, politics, sexual orientation, gender, all those things. I was very, very careful to talk about those things because, um, in some of these churches, uh, people are very affluent. They're, uh, they're, they're in power positions, Mm -hmm. right? And whenever you talk about injustice, people who are in power positions get defensive and they'll say, That's not me. I've never treated anybody like that. I don't do that. So they already put their dukes up when you start talking about injustices that occur. Um, So so that's a challenging thing. So what I would do is I would kind of tap around the issue for fear that if I address these things, you're going to lose people. You're going to lose people because you're threatening. uh, You're threatening them in a lot of ways because Mm -hmm. they don't want to be viewed as guilty. And, and and the perpetrators of some of the injustices mm. that take place, right? So it's a very, we we don't do that because we don't want to be that. We don't want to be viewed as that. And uh, so I'm going to put my dukes up. Yeah. Whereas in black congregations or, or inner city works, man, you're surrounded by oppression. Like you're surrounded by, and I say oppression, you're surrounded by injustices. That's probably a better word. Better word, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, shoot, My cousin is not doing well financially. They they live in 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 the hood in the pro, in, in, in senior face. So you can't help but to talk about it and give people hope, right? Because they're struggling through stuff. And if you don't talk about it, you're not helping them uh, feel feel yeah. empowered. So you almost have to address it. So I preach at a, a predominantly black church here in Searcy now, um, and it seems that. All of my messages have to do with lifting people up and letting them know life is hard and you can get through it. And the Mm -hmm. church is here to journey with you through that. So there is a big difference there, Yeah. yeah.
1: While sometimes it seems like the church is afraid to speak into issues like injustice and racism, it doesn't mean that you don't speak on those issues. Use your voice because these issues are just as important as everything else the church does talk about. Silence can seem complicit or in collusion with a way of thinking that diminishes one's circumstances. We are all human, and we know when something isn't just. When teaching folks to live like Jesus, people will feel judged. It's a part of our human nature. Congregants may leave. Jesus wasn't
0: popular by all in his day,
1: but his word, just like his love, remains true.
0: Thank you so much to our guests and my dear friend, Jason Darden, for being here this week. You can catch the second part of his interview next week on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Envision Radio. And who knows, he might just drop some bars for us, so check it out. At the end of every episode of Two Mamas and a Mustard Seed, we tell a two-minute story about a hero of civil rights. Colin Powell is a United States statesman and
1: a retired four-star general in the United States Army. He was the 65th United States Secretary of State, 2001 through 2005, serving under President George W. Bush. He was the first African American appointed to that position. He was the first and so far the only African American to serve on the Joint Chiefs of Staff.
0: Colin Luther Powell was born on April 5, 1937 in Harlem, New York. He was the son of Jamaican immigrants Luther and Maude Powell. Colin was raised in the South Bronx and educated in the New York City public schools. He graduated from Morris High School in 1954 without concrete plans for what he wanted to do with his life. It was at City College of New York where Powell studied geology. There he found his calling in the Reserve Officers Training Corps Known as ROTC, he soon became commander of his unit. This experience set him on a military career and gave him structure and direction in his life.
1: Powell was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the U.S. Army after graduation in 1958. While stationed at Fort Devens, Massachusetts, Colin Powell met Alma Vivian Johnson, and they were married in 1962. They have three children: a son, Michael, and daughters Linda and Anne Marie.
0: While well, on his second Vietnam tour of duty from 1968 to 1969, the 31-year-old army major was assigned to investigate the My Lai Massacre. In this incident, more than 300 civilians were killed by U.S. Army forces. Powell's report seemed to invalidate the allegations of wrongdoing and stated, Relations between American soldiers and the Vietnamese people are excellent. Also, during his tour in Vietnam, Powell was injured in a helicopter crash. Regardless of his injury, he managed to rescue his comrades from the burning helicopter, for which he was awarded the Soldiers Medal. In total, Powell has received 11 military decorations, including the Legion of Merit.
1: With the success of Operation Desert Storm, Powell was hurled into the spotlight of media and public attention. Powell found himself the target of public scrutiny and criticism. Some Black leaders labeled him a servant of the white establishment, and peace activists considered him a trigger-happy hawk. Such criticisms, however, were tempered by praise of him as a positive role model for young African Americans as a committed defender of liberty.
0: As a Black military leader, Powell has demonstrated his commitment to helping young Black men and women succeed in the armed services. He has long asserted that the military should not be criticized for putting a disproportionate number of young Black men and women in harm's way, but rather praised for its history of providing opportunities to minorities. Powell was quoted in Black Enterprise as saying, What we are dealing with now is a changing of hearts, changing of perspectives, and of minds. We need to start to erase the cultural filter with respect to minorities.
1: This decorated military trailblazer and leader retired in 2004. Since his retirement, Powell has remained vocal on political topics, openly criticizing the Bush administration on a number of issues. In September of 2006, Powell joined moderate Senate Republicans in supporting more rights and better treatment for detainees at the Guantanamo Detention Facility in October 2008. Powell made headlines again when he announced his endorsement of Barack Obama for president.
0: Colin Powell has dedicated his life to the service of his country. As a soldier, Powell exhibited an unyielding commitment to protecting his country and securing a world where democratic values can thrive. Although he has preferred to avoid the limelight of high office, Powell has become a prominent figure in U.S. politics, advising several American presidents. He has also dedicated himself to America's future and her children.
1: Powell has become an American success story, but unlike the typical rags to riches story, Powell's success stems not from monetary accumulation, but rather from all that he has given in service to his fellow Americans. Uh, We hope you all will tune in again next week as we continue to be humble, be kind, be courageous and be good listeners.
0: Two Mamas in a Mustard okay. Seed is written and produced by Kisa Holke and myself. Music is licensed through musicbed.com. Learn more about us, hear more episodes, and send us your questions and comments at twomamasinamustardseed.com.